guys. That was awesome. Amen. But unfair uh, that y'all are the only ones that get to sing it. Uh, I think we all should get to sing it. You sounded great today. Uh, our worship was full, and I think heaven heard us as we proclaimed his excellencies today. I think it does the heart of God good, not that he needs to be done good. It's probably not the right way to put it when you're talking about God, but I think it blesses, there we go, the heart of heaven uh, when his people rightly assess what he has done on our behalf and sing back praise, telling him again what he's done and how great it is in our lives. And so thank you for doing that today. I can hear everybody uh, singing today. An awesome day of praise and thank you to Trey for all he does and Heather for leading out for the choir <clears throat> for what they do. Love you guys and thank you. Turning your Bibles, if you will, to Jonah chapter 3. Um, we've been in the book of Jonah, a short minor prophet of the Old Testament and probably a story uh, that you are familiar with. <clears throat> We're going to talk about uh, today Jonah's eventual obedience to God, finally doing what God has asked him to do. And while you turn there, let me say a word to our guests. We thank you for being here today. I haven't greeted you yet, but I want to say welcome and uh, how much you bless us by letting us worship with you. We love you, love your family. So glad you're with us today. If you would think about it, take a card, a connect card from the seat in front of you and fill that out for us and drop it in the offering basket <clears throat> at either corner of this room. And we're not going to harass you or bother you. We just want to say thank you for being here today, and that's all, okay? And we do thank you. We've got a gift for you as you leave. You'll see a table out front, the Next Steps table. Stop there and pick up that gift. No strings attached. Just something we want you to have today. Jonah has been disobedient to God. God sent him to what he calls over and over again in this book, that great city, an exceedingly great city, the Bible says in chapter 3. A big city full of people and resources, uh, just massive for that day. And even in our day, we would consider it a huge place. Three days walk to get across that city. You think of Oakwood or Gainesville or even Atlanta. How many days walk that would be to cross the breadth of that city? Probably Nineveh was an even greater, even larger city uh, than those three that I've mentioned today, a three days walk. And for some reason, some reason that somewhat stupefies us, God loved them and wanted them to come to repentance, even though they were vile and wicked beyond our imagination. If we got into it today, it would gross us out even, it would cause us fear to know the violence, the perversion, the awfulness that was in that city, that just the bloodletting that ran wild in Nineveh. It was chaos, and it was all overseen. It was all authorized and endorsed by that king of Nineveh and by those who served him. This was a wicked place, and somehow, some way. God looked upon them and his heart had compassion and he wanted them to have a final word, a final chance to repent. Even his servant Jonah, when he said, Jonah, go there, Jonah fled the other direction to Tarshish, disobeyed the word of the Lord. God cast him into the sea and then at the moment of his death, reached down and scooped him up, gave him another chance at life 
and sent him back again to Nineveh. God's compassion, his mercy is greatly seen in this book of the Old Testament. Compassion upon a people who to our eyes would deserve everything they got coming to them and even more so. Compassion on a prophet, on his own man who rebelled against God, who went the other direction, who spit in the face of God and said no and would rather have died than do what God told them. The mercy of God is on full display here. And so we're going to look today as Jonah has been rescued by God by sending a great fish and being preserved and spat up on the beach there. People say he probably came out looking pretty weird. You ever been, you ever had a perm that went too long, right? Think about old Jonah in that fish, all those acids and stuff swirling around, what his skin might have looked like, what his hair might have looked like. That's a bad perm, okay? It's a, and it coming out with maybe thin hair, maybe bald hair, no eyebrows, no eyelash. I mean, who knows what the man looked like? He'd been through an awful thing after being in the belly of that fish was spat up and told God, listen, I will, I will pay what I have vowed. What I owe you, I'm going to do it, Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, you save who you want to. I don't want them saved. I don't want any of us saved. They're hideous, wretched people, but God's salvation belongs to you. If you're going to save them, then I'm going to go. And so we come to chapter 3, verse 1. We see that we have a powerful God here. The name that is above every name uh, is an unstoppable force. I was in the yard with one of my kids the other day throwing ball, and uh, they just said back to me out of nowhere, they said, Dad, God is so weird. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I think I know what you mean. Well, you know, what do you mean he's weird? And uh, he said, well, he's just everywhere all the time. <clears throat> he pointed out to our shed and said, he's in the shed right now. God's in the shed. You know, he's out here with us. And he's places that we're not. I mean, he's, he's other places too. He's everywhere all the time. That is weird. I think it's okay to say weird. We use the word holy for that type of weirdness uh, of God. But he is, he's omnipresent. The, the, we use three words to describe God. Omnipotent, that means all potent, right? Or all powerful. That is all powerful. He's omniscient. That means all science. You might see the word science there or conscience, conscience. Uh, he is all what? Knowing, right? And he is omni what? Present. He is everywhere all the time. And this type of God who is everywhere all the time, uh, this type of power finds itself unstoppable in his own purposes, no matter what is set against him. And so let's read this. Verse 1. If, it's not, if you don't have a Bible, these words will be on your screen. If you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word. And we have those on the table. You, you take that if you need it as you leave today. <clears throat> then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love that, don't you? Let's do this. Try this again, Jonah. Try it till you get it right. God doesn't give up on his people. He doesn't throw Jonah out. He, he persists with him. He calls him back to himself. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I bet he did this time, don't you? 
Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let me stop there for just a minute. This is not part of the sermon, but uh, listen to Jonah's message just for a minute. It was five words in the Hebrew language. Yet 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. Five words in the old ancient Hebrew language that he marched around saying. We've got people today that tell us, hey, listen, we've got to be, the message of Jesus has to be positive, right? It has to be eye-popping and appealing. We, we can only build bridges if, 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 you know, if we're making these feel-good inroads with people. And sure, there's a place for that. And you know that our church is about loving our community. But let us not be misguided into the fact that the message of God does not contain a warning to people. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be destroyed. A short, an unpleasant message and that's what Jonah was told by God to preach at 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Covering yourself with sackcloth, which would have been like burlap, just rough, I mean, just rough material sitting in ashes. This was a sign, a demonstration of repentance, of lowness before God. And that's what the king of Nineveh did. He sat in sackcloth and ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. Here's what it said. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God and let everyone, everyone turn from his evil way. That's a nugget of repentance right there. If you say, what is repentance? What is this Bible word that Christians use to repent? Here's what repentance is in just a few words. Call out mightily to God. You turn yourself from where it was going, from the wickedness of your ways, you turn to God and call upon him for help, for salvation, for forgiveness, for rescue. Call out mightily to God and turn from your evil ways. We turn from something and we turn to something. It's not enough just to lay down a bad habit and say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not repentance. It's not enough to, to, to turn your face superficially toward God without any life change. That's not repentance. Repentance happens when we call out to God and let everyone let us turn from our evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he, he had planned, he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I love this story. I love that the God of the ages just barges through every barrier blockading his mission to Nineveh. Every, I mean, Jonah was against them. So much was against them turning and repenting, but God just barges through it. And there's three ways I want us to see how he does this. We see in this 
in this account the reach of God's arm, don't we? We see the reach of God's arm. God proves there is nowhere he can't go. If he can go to Nineveh, if God can go to Nineveh, there's nowhere that he can't go. Uh, Jonah tries to stop him. He shows this through Jonah. Jonah flees to the far side of the world. He goes into the depths of the sea. He goes into the belly of a fish. He goes to the heart of disobedience there, and God still is able to go to that dark place and to scoop him up. I've got some maps I want to show you. I'm usually not a big map person, but maybe you can see this. This is the journey that Jonah took. He was uh, supposed to go to Nineveh. He went instead to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, or he was heading there. That's as far as from here to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. If we go to the south, we'd be in southern Colombia or Guyana. If we went to the north, we'd be in Greenland and Iceland. That's how far Jonah wanted to go from the presence of the Lord. Next, the next map shows another, uh, another journey here. Jonah started in Israel, headed out to Tarshish, and ended up going way up to Nineveh here uh, in ancient Assyria, which is now modern-day Iraq. Mosul, Iraq, way up in Iraq. And so what I want to point out here is that Jonah went as far as he could from the presence of God. That didn't stop God from getting him back. That didn't stop God from going the place that he wanted to go. Jonah fled from him, and God still had his way. But also, we see here that not only Jonah tried to stop it, the Ninevites uh, were not a welcoming people. These were not the people of God. This was not in God's country. God did not share the heart of these people. They might have said, God has no right to be here. God has no jurisdiction here. God has, has no power over us. We're not, even in, we're not even of God's people. Why does this God get to come here and speak to us this way? God does not belong here. Yesterday, I went out to... Uh, with my family and we went to a place called fashion 10 right anybody go to fashion 10 all right well there goes that uh, but anyway <laughs> the the girls went in and Reese and I decided hey we're not gonna go into that and so we uh we rode around went to Dollar General and Reese saw a pawn shop and he said dad can we go to that pawn shop I said well I don't know you know I I usually don't go to pawn shops I mean I don't know why um, no good reason, I guess, but they're just kind of weird and dark. They've got bars on the windows. You ever seen a pawn shop with no bars on the windows? I mean, they've got bars on the windows. I know there's a lot of stolen property in there. My dad was a policeman, and all growing up, all the stories I heard about pawn shops were him going there to find somebody's stolen property or evidence in a murder or something. I thought, yeah, I just usually don't go to pawn shops. I said, let's not. I drove around for a minute, and I thought, well, you know, Okay, we'll go. So we went in there, and sure enough, you know, everything's just laying out everywhere. The guy's looking at us like, what are you doing here? You know, we've got our hair combed and our shirts tucked in, and, you know, we just, uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, not used to seeing you here. Who are you? And we were looking for things that they don't have, right? Uh, at one point, Reese said, Dad, can I go up and, and ask him if they have Pokemon cards here? I said, you know, I don't, I don't think they have that, you know. And he said, well, can I ask? And he went up there and he said, excuse me, do you have Pokemon cards? The guy said, huh? <laughs> Ray said, do you have Pokemon cards? He said, what? 
And I, he, lay, he leaned down to he, and reached one more time and said, do, you, do y'all have Pokemon cards? He said, no, we don't, we don't have that, right? That's not what they have at pawn shops. I mean, I, I, we just felt like, hey, this is not, there's not a, a matchup here, right, between what we're, what we're searching for and what's in this place. There was no matchup between God and the situation in Nineveh. People in Nineveh would have looked at that and said, what are you doing here? What gives you the right Coming from over there in Israel, you stay where you belong with your people who you've claimed. You delivered them out of Egypt. You've got nothing to do with us. We're way over here in Iraq. You stay out. Mind your own business. But friends, there is nowhere that is not God's business. There is nowhere that God is not permitted to go. There is no place that has bars on the windows that are able to keep out the Lord our God. What that means for you and me is there's no sorrow or pain that you're going through that God cannot walk right into and be a healing hand for your journey. There is no situation or circumstance that you need God for that he cannot be right there with you. There is nothing that prevents him from coming in. There is no sin. Listen, there is no sin and there is no mess that you've made that the Lord cannot come into that. If you have fallen so deep into sin that you think I'm just not worthy, God does not belong here in this space with me. Listen, that conviction may be right, but that is not the reality. God desires to save, and there is nothing that can keep him from that if you would let him in. There's no disaster or fear. There's nowhere that God cannot go. Psalm 139 puts it this way. Here's what it says. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the pit or in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Listen to this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And I love this line. I awake and I am still with you. You ever woken up from a tragedy? Woken up from a heartache? Woken up from a loss the day before Woken up from an event in your life that you thought was unimaginable, you didn't see it coming. You wake up the next morning and just look around, say, hey, God's, he's still with me. There's nothing he can't enter into when it comes to his children. And he proves that in this moment. Does God rule in your life? Let me ask you that. Does God rule in your life? In going to Nineveh, God proves that there's nowhere he doesn't rule. Let, let him reign. God reigns, let him reign in you. The reach of God's arm is on display here, but secondly, the force of God's word is before us. The force of God's word. I love what God does. He does something that surprises us. He has a five-word sermon, a negative one at that, right? An awful sermon. He sends Jonah to preach. He preaches this short, simple, unpleasant message Jonah does it incompletely. A three-day journey across Nineveh. How many days did Jonah make it? One day. 
He did one-third of what he was sent to do. And by the time he'd been one-third across Nineveh, the word of God had spread all the way to the king of Nineveh. God's word is powerful. We don't need bells and whistles. We look at this and think, well, surely Jonah needs an entourage. Surely Jonah needs some, you know, some laser beams or something. Surely Jonah, I mean, without a drum, he did that, right? Without a piano, Jonah went and, and he marched across there and they, they did repent. God's word is sufficient. It is enough. He does a mighty work using only his word. And the reason he's able to do that is because it comes from God. God's word is powerful. I um, was outside the other day on the way into church on a Wednesday night. I've been on a little diet, and I know you can tell, but um, I've been on a little diet. I've been doing so good on my diet, so good. I went out there, and um, on the way in, somebody pulled up and hollered at me and said, Matthew. I said, yes. And uh, they said, uh, well, we got something for you here. And I walked over, and in their car was a box of hot, what? Krispy Kreme donuts, right? <laughs> hot Krispy Kreme donuts. They said, we got you one. Of, one of these is for you. I said, one? You know, one of them? <laughs> um, they opened it up, and you could just feel the heat radiating off of it. I waved my hand across it. It was kind of <laughs> weird, but I did it, and I picked one up. It was so soft. You just pick it, gently pick it up right there. On, I'm picturing it right now. I just <laughs> pick it up. It was squishy, and that clear, sugary glaze just kind of cracked under the pressure of my fingers. I picked it up. Let me tell you something. I had been saying no to everything. Every, every pie, every cake, every birthday, every going out to eat, I've been doing so good. No, 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 I'm not going to eat that. I said yes on that Wednesday night. <laughs> I wanted to go back and find that person and get more of those uh, donuts, but uh, it was awesome, right? And the people of Nineveh had been saying no to everything. What was different about this? What was different about this coming uh, at this time? It was its source. I might say no to everything, but I do not say no to an open box of Krispy Kreme donuts. And the people of Nineveh, they might have been able to say no to every other thing that came along their way. But when the word of God came, when it was Yahweh who spoke into their midst and sent his prophet there and said, you tell them this. You go to Nineveh. No, I don't want to go. You will go, and you will preach this message. He went, and I want you to know the people of Nineveh repented in grand fashion. When God sends out his word, <clears throat> listen, the Bible says it doesn't return void. In fact, it says it just like this in Isaiah 55, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Guys, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's just like when the, when the rain comes down, it produces a gain from the earth. Something grows up out of the earth. And just in that same relationship, that one-to-one, -one, when this happens, then that happens. Just the same way, so shall my word be that goes forth 
out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. God's word matters. This is the power of the word of God. That's why our church's activities center on the word of God. That's why we come here on Sunday mornings. We don't talk about 12 ways to have a more affluent life. That's why we don't talk about eight ways to have a more positive outlook. We go to the Word of God. That's why on Sunday mornings in your life groups, it centers on the Word of God. That's why on that table out there, we've got copies of the Word of God. Mission team who's leaving this week for Uganda, that's why you can have confidence in your going. You are going in the name that is above every name, and you are carrying the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why there's a cross front and center right there, and that's why on the front of this, there's a cross sitting right here, because we stand on the authority and, friends, the power of God's Word. What do your habits with God's Word reveal about your attitude toward God's Word? We may know all this to be true, but are you handling the Word of God like it is true? Are you participating in daily Bible study, in personal devotion time? Are you making this a part of your world and a part of your family? We would do well to remember the Word of God travels with the power of God and that because of that, it is sufficient for our mission and for our life. It's sufficient. That means it's enough. It is enough for you. But lastly, we see the effect of God's call, the effect of God's call. The vividness of Nineveh's repentance is striking here, isn't it? <clears throat> I mean, they go all out. They do everything to show that, 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 that this, this is the real deal to them. The king of Nineveh dispossesses himself of his position of power. What does he do? He's sitting on a throne. He vacates the throne. Before God, I am no king, right? I'm coming before God, not in a powerful position, but I'm stepping out of that position. He sets aside his dependence on other things. He begins fasting. Uh, He's showing God, I depend on you. He took a detectable posture of repentance. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and he commands the whole land that neither they nor any animal is to eat anything. Perhaps, maybe, if we do all this, it's possible that God will relent and not bring upon us what he has planned. Let's do everything we can to show him that our heart is repentance, to, to, to prove that we truly are sorrowing over what we have become. That's what repentance looks like. If you need to repent this week, if, if that's something in your heart that you're not close with God, that's what it looks like. I saw a, an article this week that came with a video. A lady who worked at a car wash Um, was there and she had the wand in her hand you ever go to a car wash and right there at the beginning of the car wash when you're going through before you go through they've got that power sprayer in their hand she was there with a power sprayer uh, spraying off the dirt and everything and apparently the lady in the car the driver the window was down just a little bit undetectable but the water from the power sprayer came in and got on her And she was so mad, she rolled down the window the rest of the way and had a huge Chick-fil-A lemonade in her hand and just threw it on the lady who worked at the car wash. Got all over her. She forgot one important fact, though. 
that lady had a power sprayer, right? <laughs> and I mean, you could see just a momentary pause and you can see the, the lights click on in the employees, the workers' eyes. And she took that power sprayer and power washed that woman. <laughs> All the while, the car wash is just pushing her right along, right? She got power washed. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some sense in which she was sorry, right? I'm sure that's what this lady had in mind to make her feel. But that's not what happened in Nineveh. There was no sorrow just over the consequences. There was no superficial um, repentance. There was no false turning to God. God dug deep in their hearts. He worked a miracle. This wicked, awful people would turn to him. God still does this. I want you to know God still does this. He is still in the practice of finding those deep in sin and calling them back to himself. He is still in the practice of, of claiming the hearts that nobody thought could be shaken loose from their sin, uh, taken from the grip of Satan in an awful world. He is still in the business of taking men and women who are his enemies who are hateful toward him, who want nothing of it, and turning them to say, oh, God, forgive me. This is what the Lord does in Nineveh, and he's still doing it. How have you responded to God? When God mercifully moves in our lives, when he stirs the fires of our being to move toward, the, for, toward him, we cannot afford to ignore when God does that. That call comes to man from the heart of God, and it is a wonder-working act of unexplainable love that God does. What he did in Nineveh was unexplainable. When God does that, we better listen. The effect of God's call was to turn them to repentance. I love the song the choir saying, I speak Jesus. I love it for a lot of reasons, but I want you to notice, even with the work of Jonah, what Jonah did, even with all that happened in Nineveh, we don't sing, I speak Jonah, do we? And that's because even though the power, powerful movement of God in Nineveh was amazing, it was not the fullest and final revelation of God's love for us. It was not the final act of redemption. In fact, God was not content to send only a prophet. In the end, he sent his own son to save us listen if Nineveh repented if Nineveh lived changed lives then those of us who are under the shadow of the cross of Calvary listen what an obligation and what a motivation we have to say yes to the things of God Jesus shed his own blood for us so that we could have forgiveness from sin there is no other name besides his that brings salvation and if today you're not seeing the power of God in your circumstances, if that's not a reality to you because uh, you're just not seeing the, the God change things and God do things and, and God move in a way that is making a difference to you, let me urge you today, don't turn to Jonah. Don't turn to somebody else. Don't turn to some other thing. You turn to Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus in this place because he heals and he alone. Let me pray for us.